Welcome back, everyone, uh, to this week's episode of the Frosty Connects podcast. I'm your host, Jason, along with Frosty. Hello! You all know Frosty. Okay, so we're starting things off today with the Xbox has a name that confuses consumers. The biggest thing that always made me laugh was people not understanding the uh, the Wii U and the Wii were two different things. So the Xbox Series X versus the Xbox One X, that was like confusion coming from that was inevitable. Yeah, a lot of people thought that the Wii U was just an extra peripheral because they did like Wii Fit and Wii Sports and Wii... Wii Motion Plus, I yeah, think. Yeah, Wii, Mo- Wii Motion Plus. That, like, it was already like synonymous with like that kind of stuff. Yeah, so when they're like, oh, hey, here's the Wii U, it is, and it's a tablet, people are like, all right, instead of realizing that it was a new console with a tablet. But yeah, so the Xbox One X received a number of purchases from people erroneously ordering it instead of the, uh, the Series X. Yes, during the uh, pre-orders that went up earlier, um, I think that was last week, uh, or two weeks when this podcast goes out, um, yeah, they ended up buying up Xbox One X's and the Xbox One just in general, about 700% more than, I guess, uh, previously. Who knew that the only thing Microsoft needed to do to catch up to Sony's PS4 sales was to release an ambiguously named next-generation console? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's all you that's all you gotta do. You just gotta have to have a terrible. Well, actually, actually not. I wouldn't say terrible. At least that worked better than the Wii U strategy. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have anything else to say on on. I mean, I just like I said, I, I think it, it was inevitable. You got people who who aren't necessarily as invested in gaming stuff as some of us are, and they they'd look at it and be and you know not be able to tell the difference between the things or, or see the name with the X at the end and go, oh, okay, this is it. Although I was gonna say, I think you might you would be able to discern that it was a wrong thing because the price is not the right yeah it's not the well it's not the expensive one I, i'm also a little confused about why people thought oh i can get it delivered like next week holy crap that's awesome i'm thinking people weren't thinking at all because like the, <laughs> the pre-orders were going super fast so everyone's just thinking oh i got a pre-order i got a pre-order right now so they just jumped in they found what they thought was the right thing and then they hit the button and that was it they didn't think about how much it cost how much like they didn't i don't think they were actually looking at what they were doing they were just i need to get this now otherwise i'm not going to get it they had like they all had tunnel vision like i gotta buy this thing yeah exactly they had like the but i can be a scalper yeah well i i yeah, actually there might be have been some dirtbags who were thinking that but <laughs> i hope some of them got fucked yes indeed but yeah, exactly. Go in with like t- just just blinders on, get tunnel vision for it, and then yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's probably what ha- ended up happening. I feel bad if anyone's grand like sweet grandma was buying like buying. Oh, I bought the Xbox <laughs> One X. Yes, my grandson will be very happy about this. I also thought about that as well. But I don't know how many old people know how to order things online, so I don't know if that would be an issue. 
Shit, you're right. They, those would be the tech-savvy ones that would actually know what the hell they're doing on I would, I would hope so. Usually people who I've met who are older who know how to use computers with some degree of proficiency, they're they're quite good with, with that kind of stuff. So they would probably end up going in, seeing that it was sold out, and then just buggering off instead of the people who got tunnel vision and then, you know, did the did the thing. It'd be funny if they were the retailers were like, no refunds, no refunds. I am very curious. Did the article, I didn't read it. Did the article you found about the naming thing and the sales, did that say if the retailers were giving refunds? It didn't really say. It just said like there was a spike of that kind of percentage of uh, increased sales. Whether that means that returns were equal didn't really tell, tell me that. See, I, I would hope that most retarded. <laughs> yeah, I was hope I would hope that people would realize the mistake and and then refund it or ask for some kind of refund before it gets sent to them instead of having the package arrive and then realizing that they they ordered the complete wrong the complete wrong thing and then uh you know not uh just like being stuck out I think it's three hundred dollars for a, a, or two hundred fifty uh like American dollars for, for the uh, the console so I would hope that they would figure that out before because it's not an insignificant amount of money it's not that it's not like a, as much as the new consoles are but it's still not an insignificant amount of money so it's you know, it's a couple weeks a couple weeks of groceries yeah it is um i think the xbox one x that's the more expensive version of the xbox so it's hard to say i think it's decently comparable to the price of the next gen xbox yeah i don't it's more i, don't, I don't have any idea yeah i buy i buy computer parts i don't know how, how much these fucking things cost yeah that's uh that's pretty much the big joke meme joke of the week the xbox has a terrible name speaking of xbox though segue Let's get into our next topic. I'll let you introduce it. I don't want to. <laughs> Last week, Xbox, uh, Microsoft, ended up buying up Bethesda and its parent company, ZeniMax, for $7.5 billion. That is a lot of Cheerios. Yeah, you know, my first reaction was, that was it? I guess I thought Bethesda was, like, kind of worth a bit more, but it's still, yeah, like, when you compare it to uh, the price... Minecraft was bought for it. It was bought for $2 billion, three to four times more than uh, Minecraft, but still. And that was really just mainly for one game. Just for, for context, Disney paid $4 million for Marvel. $4 million? Yes, $4 million. And then for, I think that was before they became, sorry, let me check that again. I don't actually know if that was million or billion. Hold on. <laughs> I would hope it would be billion. Million doesn't seem like a million. Sorry, four, it's four billion. My, my mistake is billion. Billion, not million. Very different numbers. And then Star Wars, Disney paid more than $4 billion in 2012 to acquire Lucasfilms. So yeah, so, so George Lucas got about $4 billion for Star Wars as well, um, almost 10 years ago. <laughs> And he's he's laughing uh, his way to the bank, or at least did. Kind of. He he's very pre- he I, he doesn't. He's been uh, a little bit vocal about how he doesn't like how Star Wars has been treated over the last number of years. But that's whatever. Solve the fans. But but it's but he has four billion dollars. So why the fuck does he care? But yeah, so seven and a half billion dollars for Zenimax Media, which net them Bethesda, uh, Arcane, ID Software. Yeah, Machine Games. And that one that makes the horror games that I don't know the name of. 
I think they're a Japanese studio. Tokyo something or other. Yeah, I don't remember them. But they also, yeah, they have ZeniMax Online Studios. They're the ones that are in charge of Elder Scrolls Online. Tango Gameworks was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, they were the ones that made the... Uh, the Evil Within. The Evil Within, yeah. The Evil and Within. they're working on that... Um, I was thinking Tokyo, because it's like the next game they're putting out is Tokyo something or other. It's on the PlayStation 4. Tokyo Wire. Yes. I think that's what it's called. Just look it up here. Well, it's not Tokyo Drift. No, it's not. Their their logo is a snail. <laughs> Tokyo, or no, Ghostwire Tokyo. That's the name. We had it backwards. Ghost, yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo. We are clearly very interested in this. Oh, it's like a horror game. Yeah, it's it's up in their, their genre that they like. So this is action-adventure on Wikipedia, but that genre doesn't mean anything. Well, it's all first-person, and like you got like supernatural powers, and you're going to get rid of the... Kill the ghosts. One of them being like an invisible little girl or something like that, and then another one's like the faceless man uh, who looks very, really, very much reminiscent of um, the Slender Man. But I think it looks, it looks, another one looks kind of interesting at the very least. Funny part is with this acquisition, they uh, still have to agree to two of the PS5 exclusives, or at least ones that are going to Sony first. So that being one of those games, along with this death loop and then Ghostwire Tokyo. Yeah, well, so with game development, you could be working on a game for two, three, five years. So you don't just take a contract for or, or like three, four years of development and throw it in the garbage because of an acquisi- uh, acquisition. You continue, you put out the product anyway, and then you just make money off of it. And Microsoft has no qualms with, or at least with their past acquisitions, they've had no qualms with making a large amount of money off of any platform that they can put games on. Microsoft owned uh, Mojang before Minecraft was put onto the Switch. So that's a that's a thing that happened afterwards. It's a Microsoft published game and I believe that Ori and the Blind Forest is also a Microsoft published game and that's on Switch and the sequel as well. Um I don't know if that made it to PlayStation though. No, I, I don't no it definitely has not. Only recently did we get uh, Cuphead. Yeah, they moved that from Xbox PC to the Switch first. And I was eyeing it up on the Switch, but then it came to the PS4 and I'm like, well, I'm more familiar with uh, my controller on that, so I might as well pick it up there eventually. Yeah, I think think that that might still be Microsoft published. Let's see here. No, apparently they made enough money off of the initial sales for it to be self-published. So uh, yeah, they're just I guess their exclusivity deal ended with with Microsoft, and they were able to put it on other stuff. Yeah, that seems that's that's the trend of all these games. Uh, just like Final Fantasy VII remake will finally be available, uh, I guess April of something like next year, hopefully. Yeah, we're somewhat getting off topic. So like with that acquisition. The big kind of news from that isn't so much because I, I I guess I should ask you there. Do you think that with this acquisition that all of the intellectual property that has been scooped up by Microsoft will become exclusive in the future? I don't believe it will just because the trend of Microsoft has been, oh, we're going to start pushing out these games to other platforms. They're in it for the, the software at this point, as I don't think they really want to be in the console market nearly as much as 
show. They, they're more interested in the software, which is why they even were able to push back at Halo Infinite, mostly because people thought it wasn't looking that good and it's been mis- bit mismanaged. But that's that's kind of where I'm at with it as well. Their console offering this generation, and people don't get pissed off at me for saying this, I don't think Microsoft's console offering with this generation, or really with last generation, but especially with this generation, uh, it's more of a, here is a box that you can use to play Game Pass. And that's their sales pitch. Their sales pitch isn't buy an Xbox. Their sales pitch is subscribe to Game Pass. They want that to become part of the cultural lexicon in the same way that Spotify or Netflix is, right? Where people subscribe to these services and then they just keep making, like they, as in the companies, keep making money off of you continuing to get value out of these services. Yep, this all the recurring revenue um, strategy. Yeah, and in software development, recurring revenue is a really big trend, speaking from experience. It is just safer that way instead of constantly trying to put out hits and then you're so then you're constantly working towards things that may or not may not be successful. If you have revenue constantly coming in, it's it's a lot easier to develop, it's a lot safer to to develop. You don't have to worry about the company folding and losing your job or or what have you. So with this, the offerings on Game Pass become really, really good. You have all of Microsoft's uh, the first party stuff that they already had. You had a bunch of indie games on there. You had a bunch of uh, different third party uh, developed games that they were able to purchase to be on Game Pass for a select time. But now they're going to have all of the ZeniMax Media games on Game Pass. So that means all of the future games from id Software. So your Dooms, your they. I guess they did Rage as well. Quake was a thing that happened. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah, and then like all of Arcane's games coming out, all like all of the studios we mentioned before, all of their games are going to end up on the Game Pass eventually, and all their future games will presumably be on Game Pass from day one, just like all of the other Microsoft first party stuff is. And that's a huge win for Microsoft in terms of the Game Pass because there's a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people who really like Bethesda games. So that is a huge value proposition for those people. You can pay for the game. Game Pass and you get to play the next Fallout game or the next Elder Scrolls game day one on the Game Pass instead of having to go and dole out whatever amount of money it is for it. So that's that I think that's probably the, the biggest thing for them. And then as with Microsoft, I assume that they're still going to put at least Bethesda's games, because those are the kind of really like the really, really big hitters on Sony's platform, just so they can make money off of it. I don't think they're gonna stop doing that. Yeah, there's there's no way that they're not going to put it on out on the PlayStation or even the Switch if it can kind of handle it. Yeah. Both of those are money makers. They'll make they make hundreds of sa- uh, or hundreds of thousands of sales, millions of sales in some cases. I know, like, I think the Fallout made at least M- millions of sales. It's, yeah. it's always it's always millions of sales. Yeah, exactly. So there's not a single way that they're not going to be like, yeah, let's cut the audience in half. You could make the argument, okay, well, Microsoft has this ZeniMax media exclusively under their control now. Let's make all of their titles exclusive so people have a reason to come to Xbox. I don't think, Mike, like I said before, I don't think Microsoft gives a shit if you buy their console. They want you to have 
a box you can buy Game Pass on. That is their strategy this generation. They don't like everything, all their presentations, all their wording, all of their everything is very focused on Game Pass. I don't know if you notice at E3 in 2019, but Game Pass was said a lot more than anything else during the presentation. And that's the presentation where they were actually showing off why you would want to actually buy the next generation consoles. And the same wording has been present in everything that they've done since. It's always Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass. They really want you, like, that's what they're doubling, that's what they're investing in, that is that is their future. They don't care as much about the, the box, I don't think. They care more about getting you on the, the Game Pass. Well, it's, it's the same for their like their Windows 10 platform. They they only sell with the software really for it now. They they're not even trying to like make oh Windows 11, Windows 12. They pretty much stopped. Oh yeah, no, it's exactly the same in in the OS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great point. It's the exact same strategy, and it's it's probably going to work like reasonably well. My question for you would be, how soon do you think they're going to start this flipping the switch like Netflix does, where they're increasing it steadily? Because I know when I started with Netflix, it was only like nine ninety nine Canadian a month, and then it creeped up to like ten ninety five nine, and then it went up all the way to like thirteen ninety nine. So, how soon do you think like they're going to switch that once it's like relatively successful, or there's maybe? I don't know enough. I didn't get on the Netflix train. I'm still not on the Spotify train for a really long time. So I've only had Netflix well after a lot of the price increases. And I haven't seen a price increase since I've started using that service. That said, with the ZeniMax properties under their belt, I would hazard a guess that there, if there's going to be a price increase, I would I would assume that it might happen in a couple of years. Fundamentally, you want to keep something cheap so that people are willing to pay for it. And then once they get using it, they're more likely to continue paying for it. That's typically how this kind of stuff works. So in the early years, you want to leave it as cheap as you can and then raise the price progressively once you have once once they've gotten to that point where where it is 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 culturally relevant as part of the lexicon in the same way that the netflix is like they want people to be using the service and dependent like i guess yeah, dependent on service is probably the best word they want people to, to to have a relationship with the service already and then when they raise the price people will be like ah fuck it it's only like two more dollars i can i can afford this it's whatever yeah i'm almost inclined to think they're going like with bethesda like once, whenever Starfield or the Elder Scrolls Six comes on, I wonder if they're going to like that's like a couple months beforehand. That's when they're going to increase the price. Perhaps for me, it's like I always have like Netflix, even when I don't use it for like a month. I'm paying for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how many people are really going month to month and going uh, like I'll I'll cancel it now because the games I want to play aren't out yet. I think the overwhelming majority of people who are on Game Pass probably just have it and keep it. So the battle that that Microsoft has right now is getting people to adopt using it. Because once people start using it, they don't, they'll just keep paying for it in perpetuity because it's actually a really good deal. Well, it's like, what, $10 to $15 a month? It's $10 American. It's $13 Canadian. I was looking at it earlier because it's a really good deal. (laughs) Well, yeah, and you're excited because I told you that Doom Eternal was coming to the Game Pass in early October. That's only on everything but PC. Oh, for the 
Yeah, I wasn't yeah, too pleased. I learned about that earlier today. I was I was going to well, so I'm I'm playing what I'm playing right now, but afterwards I have a whole like a blank slate in my what am I playing? So I was going to uh buy a month of Game Pass time and then uh play through a few games that I saw in there that I wanted to play. And Doom Eternal is one of them, but yeah, it's not going to be out. So I'm going to keep that in the I'm going to keep biding my time on that one until Doom Eternal comes out, I think. And then I'll I'll probably give it a, a go. But yeah, I I am for thirteen dollars. That is a much better price to play some of those games than it would be for me to buy them all on sale on Steam. I have I think two hundred and fifty ish games on Steam or something. That like a lot of them I will never play again. I played through them once and I have no desire to go back to them. So the Game Pass, from my perspective, is like a video game rental service. You go in, you pay whatever for the month, you download the games you're interested in, you play them, and then you never have to touch them again. It doesn't matter. I only really need a, a way to play games again if I actually have a desire to play them again. And for Doom Eternal, like I played Doom 2016 through the once. I didn't really want to play it through it again. So I assume that I'll have the same relationship with, with Doom Eternal. <laughs> uh, Dishonored 2 was on there. I haven't played that, so I thought, okay, that'd be you know, I could play that instead of buying it on Steam, even though it'll probably be, by now it'll probably be on sale on Steam for a really good price whenever the next big sale happens. But yeah, if it's on Game Pass, I could do it through Game Pass. Uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisp is on there. I'm not willing to pay the the price that they're asking for that game because I I have reasons for it. I, I won't drag the podcast down by explaining them, but I I won't I don't I'm not willing to pay the price that they're asking for that. So if I could get that with Game Pass, then that'd be great. That's the Metroidvania like game, right? Yeah, it's just okay. I'm gonna explain it now. I have to. So the original one, everyone's like, this game is great, and I played it. and I thought it was super mediocre. So when the sequel to the mediocre game comes out and charges double the price for admission and people are saying that the sequel is super amazing and I did like I they said the same exact thing about the first one and I didn't I didn't think it was hot shit. So I'm not convinced to pay twice as much money to go into an amusement park ride, like this, potentially the same amusement park ride, and be entirely underwhelmed. Yeah, that's 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 where I'm at with with that in particular. So if if they had charged like twenty bucks for it, I would have I would try it for that. But if it's on Game Pass, I can just you know fart out thirteen dollars for Game Pass, thirteen Canadian, and yeah, then I can play it. And if I don't like, you know, I can try it for a few hours. But I don't like it, or I think it's still like kind of in the same vein as the first game then okay i will i can just drop it nothing's really lost and i can just continue playing the other games on the game pass that i'm interested in so that's that's why <laughs> fair enough yeah no i like i get that that's um, i hate when sequels uh, do that where they charge like way way more than their predecessor but well it's like it makes sense if the game was good because <laughs> that's probably gonna piss some people off so like if hollow knight silk song comes out and they charge like 60 dollars for that game i would pay it because hollow knight was great i would pay more money for hollow knight it's a 15 dollars game i would have paid like 30 or 40 dollars for that game it's fucking amazing so yeah if, they, if the sequel comes out and it's and it costs like 60 dollars i would i would gladly pay for it 60 dollars for it they've already proven themselves in my eyes it, the sequel could suck but like the previous game was good enough that i'd be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt Divinity Original Sin, that's, that was a great game. I played that and loved it. And the sequel for that came out and cost more money. I bought it day one. And it was also great. So uh, SteamWorld Quest, I think, charged more money. And that's like the latest SteamWorld game. That that game, I think, was a little bit more money than the previous ones. And I like all of the SteamWorld games. So I bought that one and thought nothing of it. Uh, Hades, I'm playing that right now. That game cost more money than 
all of Supergiant's previous games uh, did at launch. So I and I paid money for that because all their games are great. But like when I play, so like I don't have a problem paying more for a sequel if the previous game earned the developer charging more money. If they've if they've set a precedent with themselves where they where they produce quality products consistently or they produced a quality product that I really enjoyed, I'm not gonna think twice about when they charge more money for the next thing because I in a lot of cases I think that these developers deserve more money after I've played their games. If I could find a way to, to pay them more, I I do sometimes that involves me buying soundtracks for the game sometimes i buy merch for the games sometimes i buy my friends copies of the games shit like that just to give them more money because i'm like oh this game is great you deserve the extra money but yeah when i play again i'm like oh this was just okay this was kind of this is okay it, it is a game that i played and then the sequel comes out and I'm like oh we want twice as much money and i'm like uh i don't know <laughs> that's that's not happening yeah, you're a, you're a much nicer person than I am. Uh, I don't usually just pay once, and I'm like, all right, I had my fun. Yeah, well, I guess my thing is, like, I, I've played some of these games, and in some cases, I don't agree with the price that they're charging for them, because I think that they're worth more, right? Like, like I said, Hollow Knight's like a $15, or not like a $15 game. It is a $15 game. It is a $15 game, and it is worth way more than $15. It's a phenomenal game. Yeah, I would. I given the opportunity, I would have paid more money for it. I kind of did through extra purchases I made after the fact. Yeah, I picked up a copy on the PS4. It was yeah, I love that game. Exactly, it's just, it's a great game. You'll still be sad to hear that I have not gotten. I've only gotten to the bad ending. Whatever. I don't. You finished the game. I don't care which ending you got. <laughs> <laughs> you gave the game a shot and you played it how you wanted to play it. That's enough. I don't. I, I 100%ed the game, but I don't expect other people to go in and 100% the game. If they play the game and they enjoy the game, that's all I care about. Yeah, I'm happy that there's a sequel coming out for it, though. I'm, I'm glad that developers found success. Yeah, I'm very excited for, for that sequel. Is there any news on, like, roughly when that's coming out? None at all. Okay, it's just a, to be determined. Cool. Yeah, people keep asking me about that because they figure that I'll have heard about it. I know it's coming to Switch for people who, who want to play indie games on Switch. I, I, I still want to play it on PC, though. So getting back to Microsoft, do we have anything else to add to the, the ZeniMax acquisition? I, I kind of said my bit about where I think they're going. I don't know if you have anything to add. I kind of dominated that conversation a bit. Uh, that's okay. I find it funny that Bethesda, like, people are like, oh, so happy about like Bethesda being like bought out, and I'm just like, you don't remember that Fallout 76 came out like a big pile of shit? That multiplayer Fallout was just awful. I tried it for a little bit, and... Oh my god, why the fuck did you even bother? It was $10 on Kijiji. <laughs> and I also got rid of it for $10 on Kijiji. Okay, so you made your money back. I wasted my time, that's all I wasted. But your time's more valuable than your money. I wasted money handling. I tried it. It was a basically unplayable. I'm happy that they did the um, Wastelanders deal, like the or DLC, uh, Wastelanders expansion, to basically make up for the fact that this that world was fucking empty. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was a piece of shit. That actually um, brings me brings up a good point that I thought I didn't think to make because a lot of um, a lot of Bethesda's portfolio is not online based. Like there are obviously games that are in there that are online based, like The Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout seventy six now, and I guess uh, Doom had some kind of multiplayer. Yes, Doom has Doom has some multiplayer component. It is not what the campaign like the campaigns are what those are known for. 
Yeah, that's that's what I play them for entirely. Quake uh, existed and is an online game. I don't think it actually has any problems putting out online games that work really, really well. Um, but Bethesda is a completely different beast. From what I understand, their concept of how to do online stuff is not the greatest. So perhaps having access to Microsoft resources, both monetary and knowledge-based, will help to smooth out existing issues in the games that they have in their portfolio and potentially any future online-type games that they try to release. They uh, they might come out in a little bit better of a state with uh, Microsoft backing them and ha- you know having that well, I, yeah, I think um, Star. Yeah, I think Starfield is supposed to have a new engine because the problem was since the success of the Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, they've been on the same en- engine for Fallout 4 and uh, Fallout 76. I'm gonna correct you there. I'm just gonna have to look up exactly how old it is. I thought the creation. No, never mind. I'm wrong. I thought the creation engine predated Skyrim, but it doesn't. It apparently does not. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was used from Fallout Three through to uh, Fallout Seventy Six, but uh, apparently it was just the. Uh, it was created for Skyrim. Yeah, that engine has been used for over a decade, and many people think it should probably be uh, taken out back and shot. The big problem with RPG game engines is that you invest so much resources into fleshing them out and every single release you put out adds more and more assets to the engine that can just work with the engine it becomes a really big investment then to invest the same level of uh like to put the same amount of assets and resources into a new engine that you've spent over like a decade adding stuff to it's it's not tenable to just you know create a new engine and then just take 10 years of work and just drop it into this new engine you you largely have to redo a lot of the work and do it redoing a decade's worth of work takes like a fucking decade to do so you can't just do this shit overnight which is why there's like a huge sunk cost fallacy uh specifically when you have these really large in-house made engines uh which which you know makes it so people don't or developers don't really want to move over to new stuff because it'll just it's fucking expensive both in terms of the amount of money and the man hours to go into it well that's the problem though because they tried to shoehorn in multiplayer onto their old engines so it just turned into a like it was just it was unplayable on console. Yeah, it just it, it, that, sh- that shit did not work. <laughs> if the game had just been single player with like the Wastelander thing, I think it would have been a very successful game. Problem was that they were trying to shoehorn in the multiplayer to an engine that was clearly not designed around it. Or the engine that was yeah clearly not designed for it because they were trying to get on that like that live service gravy train, which it was their thing that they're trying to get into i really hope they stay away from that for the elder scrolls 6 and uh, uh starfield i will make a side point about that fallout 76 was not the first time they tried to do that no it's not the first time you'll 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 notice that with an entire console generation went by without a new elder scrolls game being released and the reason for that is most definitely that they put all of their eggs into the Elder Scrolls Online, and they were expecting, I assume, for that game to be much more successful than it is because of how successful Skyrim had been. But yeah, I think that if Elder Scrolls Online had actually taken off in the fashion that they wanted to, you would have seen Skyrim Remastered released at the very end of the current console generation instead of smack dab in the middle of it. The thing about Bethesda is 
the games under it are good. I'm hoping, yeah, that with this Microsoft acquisition that maybe some parts of Bethesda will get a little bit better with their newer games like Starfield. Like, I'm hoping that that's really going to wow people. So you're you're a Sony guy, or at least console-wise you are. So I, I guess I, I guess this is another question for you would be, let's assume worst-case scenario. Let's say that Microsoft comes out and they say they're going to be the big bully and they don't want anyone to have uh, ZeniMax games unless you play in the Microsoft Garden, which would be a move that I would expect basically every other console. Yeah, I, I expect everyone except for Microsoft to do that. Let's say that happens. Which developer... Are you the most sad now? Like, which one are you going to miss the most? If that, you know, worst case scenario, if that happened. I think I'd be a bit sad if Machine Games went, because they're the ones that made Wolfenstein games. Mm-hmm. And I, I like those games. Um, I know that a lot of people think that the most recent game was with the twin sisters was, uh, well, terrible. And it's also a little bit of like their microtransactions were sneaking in. But one and two, I thought were really good. Okay. I would also be a bit sad if uh, the Arcane guys, because Dishonored is really great, Prey's good, and their new game, Deathloop, uh, looks great. I think they pump out a lot of good games. Yeah, I think those two mainly. I don't think I'd be that sad about Bethesda. I was going to say, Bethesda's probably the big one, but I, I don't... But yeah, I don't think I've ever played a Bethesda-developed game. <laughs> I've played Bethesda-published games. Yeah, they're, uh, they're really janky. Uh, that's the main problem with them, and console ports are getting better but the ps3 think of the elder scrolls skyrim it would have like a memory bug issue like memory leak issue on the ps3 that's yeah and it did the same thing for fallout 3 it they just didn't know how to how to program for that one i guess in that way this acquisition actually kind of makes sense because it seems like the at least some of the developers under the umbrella of Zenimax had a much better track record with the Xbox ports than they did with the PlayStation ports for some of their games. At least early on, yeah. I think they were pretty much neck and neck this gen because okay. well, the hardware is pretty similar. So, but the hardware was pretty similar, and the fact that like the PS4 was outclassing or outpacing the Xbox like two to three to one. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that and the I guess the other thing is that the hardware is not only similar, but the hardware is extremely similar to PC hardware. Pretty much all I have on that. Yeah, I don't have uh, I don't have anything else to add either. Unless you had any, some other questions for me with regard to it. No. Okay. <laughs> so moving swiftly on from our topic of Zenimax acquisition by Microsoft, uh, Jason, you're a pretty big fan of Yakuza. I hear, and there was some uh, was some news this week over the last few weeks about the new Yakuza game coming out. So uh, why don't you take us through your thoughts on that? All right. So yeah, Yakuza Seven. It's um, a couple like I think it was about a month ago. It was announced that it was going to be a launch title, and for the I was going to say a launch title for which both consoles or, or just no, no. I have to get into that. Uh, it's going to be a launch title for the Xbox. Uh, Series X, it'll be on the Xbox One, it'll be on the PS4. PS5 got the shaft, and it's going to be down in March of next year. Why, Why I don't really know, because traditionally the Yakuza games have been kind of always on PC first, or not PC, uh, PlayStation first. Yeah, it's kind of weird. There, You can get the, if you get Yakuza 7 uh, digitally then on the PS4, then you can upgrade to the PS5 for free. It's got that whole 
smart delivery, which is nice. I don't know if that includes the physical one, though. But yeah, so Yakuza is a series that's been here since around 2005 on the PS2 and uh, didn't really get all that popular uh, until... Yakuza Zero and Yakuza Kiwami came out in the middle of uh, the uh, 2010s. And ever since then, it's been gaining in uh, popularity up to the point where I don't even think it's kind of like cult popularity. It's like enough that uh, Sega really notices that there's an audience in the Western market as the release dates have been uh, getting closer and closer together with the Japanese releases. Yeah, I was going to say, I I didn't know what the fuck a Yakuza even was until whenever Yakuza 0 came out. And it I think that was when the franchise really blew up. And that was the intention, right? They put out a prequel to the first game with the intention of remastering them. And they were hoping, hey, if we like introduced an entire new audience to this. Will it catch on? Like, can we, you know, since we're remastering the games anyway, will they will they get invested in them and will they buy them? And I think that it actually really paid off for them in a big way. Oh yeah, no, it definitely paid off in a big way for them because yeah, ever since then it's they were happy when it was like, oh, it sold like mil like or like half a million or a million copies in the West, and like that was unheard of for the Yakuza series up till then. Mm -hmm. They had they had actually released all the games. So the Yakuza 1 and 2, the original ones, were on the PS2, and then the other 3 through 5 were on the PS3. It was pretty much only on Sony platform that they were putting those out. This is why I've never heard of these games before. Which is why I've never heard of them. <laughs> the, 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 PC, the PC of Yakuza 0 like, I, yeah, came out like I think two or three years ago at this point, which is why you then heard about it. But yeah, it's mostly been on Sony's platform for forever. I'm happy it's gained the popularity. I'm glad that everyone knows the story of uh, Kazuma Kiryu. Yeah, he's he's had uh, seven games about himself, and uh, Yakuza 7 is the first game that's actually uh, having a different protagonist. The new protagonist yeah. still can't be Kiryu. There might be a cameo. I might have seen one online. I'm not sure, though. That was that was definitely spoiled in one of the, like, the trailers or gameplay things they showed. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that. It's a new protagonist, and uh, the interesting part about this is they've changed the combat entirely. It's going to be all uh, turn-based, and your characters will have like different jobs. So the number, of, the crazy number of jobs that there are. You could be like a hostess or a host. You could be like a break dancer, and you're going to be like attacking with break dancing moves and shit like that. Be like maybe I don't know. Maybe you could be like a scam artist. There's a lot of different roles that you could, like jobs you can play. Yakuza 7 is, I also got the name of, like, Yakuza, Like a Dragon. It's kind of almost a bit of a parody on uh, the Dragon Quest series, like, which that game kind of has, like, you can pick different jobs and stuff like that. It's a completely different game. Um, they're always trying, well, they've been trying new new things with their latest games. It's, it's, almost, it's a really weird change from the action, like, kind of action-adventure game that they've been doing to this RPG, like, turn-based game. So do you think that the change in combat came about because they like the series is so old and the developers are just tired of doing the same shit, then they just want to do something different? Oh, for sure. They love to experiment with that. So in 4, you had like four different characters, and they all kind of played a little bit the same, other than a couple, which one was like, like a detective, and he would dodge attacks a lot more and like uses the heat moves to punish the whoever <laughs> you were trying to kill. I'm not, not really on trying to kill the feet. Okay. I think the developers were just wanted to do something different and go for it. They had like a lot of success. Uh, they clearly 
they put a lot of effort into their games and try and make them like really fun. There's always lots of mini games. Like you probably remember from Yakuza Zero that there'd be like the disco mini game. Disco mini game was my favorite fucking mini game in the whole game. Yeah, that was that not was- because it was fun to play. It was really fun to watch this really grumpy Japanese gangster dancing disco. That that is just fucking hilarious. It's yeah, like such I mean, a it's such like a clash of tone. It was great. Well, the whole game is a clash of tone. Like you'll be going from disco to a serious fight, back to like karaoke or hostess club management, and then you and you'll just, go like, like kick some guy's teeth in in an alley. <laughs> yeah, like any everything can change, and that's what's great about it is like these sub stories that come into play. They're always so wacky and like crazy. Often, like you'll be trying to get like scammed by someone. Like, or like, oh, here's this new smartphone, or oh, you you bumped into me, and now I need medical expenses. <laughs> I like the one where the guy, like the kids, going around stealing people's pants. That one was really funny to me. Yeah, that one was pretty good. There was there's one where another one I really liked was when you find the message in the public bathroom. I think that's one of the ones that Majima does, and then you like he figures that he got like set up at the end, but then like the lady actually appears. <laughs> <laughs> there's like often like one where it's like oh i ran out of toilet paper and you have to like you have to actually have an item on hand that's like paper based so you often have like pocket tissues given the guy. oh man i don't think i found that one yeah yeah i can't remember it that might not be in that game but it might be in one of the other ones okay but yeah there's always like funny little stuff that like breaks the uh, it's weird because it breaks the pace of the game but it's often like good because you'll either get New items, more experience, or just have a good laugh at the uh, curious expense. Yeah, Yakuza, just on that pacing bit, Yakuza's really weird in that sense, because the pacing is all over the goddamn place, to the point where I'd say it's actively kind of bad, but at the same time, if you just want to like do nothing but the story quests, you can totally do that, and if you want to fuck off and do nothing but side crap for like 25 hours straight, you can totally do that. The game doesn't give a shit what you spend your time doing as long as you can do whatever you want to have fun. It's it's very free in that sense, so it gives you a lot of control over the pacing. When you get to go to an arcade, you get to play like all these Sega games on there. Like you get to play, uh, I'm probably butchering this, but Poyo Yoyo or something like that. There's a couple like like shooting games. You get to even play um, like the Crane game. Like, there's so much stuff you can do in that game. It's, like, ridiculous. I fucking hate the crane game. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I'm good at it. I know, I'm terrible at online. This actually is a good point, though. You were saying that earlier it, was like, it takes a lot of effort to, like, make an engine from scratch. So, between Yakuza... Well, Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Kiwami, they were, the, like, the last two games that were on their older engine. And they moved over to something called, like, the Dragon Engine. And it was like night and day because a lot of those games were like still playable on the PS3. And in Yakuza 6, it was the first game that introduced this new engine. It was a complete overhaul on uh, like the game's quality, the animations, everything looked a lot like way smoother. And like it was a really good uh, investment. And I think that's also paid off because it's made their games like look comparable to games that are coming out like now from AAA companies. So like I think it was definitely worth them investing all that uh, all that time to make that net, that new engine because it's been really successful and it's it's I believe it's the same engine that's going to be um, having this new Yakuza like a dragon game. Hmm. My only problem though was when they changed engines, they as you kind of pointed out, 
they didn't include all the old mini games, so they only had like a small selection. They did fix that when they went and remade, uh, remade uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2, which was Yakuza 2 uh, on steroids. Yeah, well, like I said, it takes time to... You're taking years of work, right? And you, it takes time to, to redo all of that work into your engine. You get all the assets together, get all the logic together, so you can just... When you make a new game, instead of having to remake it all over, you can speak, okay, we have the bowling minigame already, we have the Mayang minigame already, we have the uh, fucking shitballs. I can't remember the names, but like they, they just if they have the, the assets and shit already together, they can just, you know, fundamentally they can put it into the new game and it's there, instead of having to make everything from scratch every single time. It's just that it was enough that, like, it was noticeable, but Yakuza 6 was, like, a still really successful game. It was just that, like, oh, now that, like, they're slowly, like, they're kind of bringing them back in much better of a pace than, like, EA's Madden. <laughs> right now, I think they've, they've caught up with pretty much, like, all the main mini games. Like, Yakuza 2 Kiwami had, like, new ones that they were introducing, like, golf, an indoor golf mini game. Hell yeah. It was, like, a, if you can pick up Yakuza Kiwami 2, you'll, you'll be able to see, like, the main differences I'm talking about. I don't know if it's on PC yet. I think it is. I I don't know. I liked Yakuza Zero a lot. In fact, it, I played it earlier this year. It's one of the favorite, my favorite games from this year. Yeah, it, it's really fun. I just don't know if I will have the patience to go through another Yakuza game because they're fun until you get tired of doing the side stuff and then you just want to see the rest of the story. I just don't know if I want to play another one of them because I, I just I know that it's gonna be. If I get really into it, I know it's going to be like a 60, 70 hour investment of time. And that's a lot. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I have enough time on my hands, I guess, to uh, do that. Um, but yeah, I've played pretty much all the Yakuza games. Uh, I do need to still play five at some point. The remastered collection of three, four, and five came out. I played three and four like pretty much quickly. And then I was like, I don't want to get burned out. Kind of like what you were saying. <laughs> you don't yeah, want to it's play just my... you don't have to burn out. Yeah, my burnout timer is just way the fuck longer than yours is on this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I still have to play that, but like Kazuma Kiryu, his ride is like is great. I would recommend anyone get into the Yakuza series. Uh, if you're gonna start, start with yeah zero or one. Uh, you oh, don't need I'm... you don't need to play zero to technically know like who these characters are because one just introduces them over again. Fuck that shit. Play zero. Zero's great. Oh no, you can play zero. Zero is great. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't optionally play Zero. Absolutely play Zero. Zero's a fucking amazing game. The story in that game is is gripping. It's it's so tense, and you're sitting there just waiting for uh, for all the all the, it just stacks these fucking dominoes on top of each other, and you're just waiting for all of the just the shit to hit the fan and for the everything to just start falling over and just everything. Oh, it's fantastic. I love it. It also has one of my favorite tutorial levels. You know the one where you're in kind of the, the big host this club with Majima. Yeah. I love that tutorial level. That's a perfect example of how to do like a tutorial, right? On that, how to introduce like character special moves and stuff. Yeah, I um when that whole sequence was happening, I said, 
what the fuck is even happening? And it didn't dawn on me until like more than halfway through that I was going through another tutorial for this this other character. And then yeah, it's always it's also very weird when you get like because you come from Kiryu's story, like it, it just starts off and it it just immediately grabs you and brings you in with this. You know, he gets framed for a murder, and you're like, oh shit! And then it cuts to like the cabaret club, and there's this goofy guy with an eye patch, and he's like, ah, hello, sir. And he's being all polite to this guy who's being a total douche. And you're like, all right, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> well, the master is always right. Yeah. <laughs> Except when you kick his ass. <laughs> hey, well, that's the thing. You don't kick his ass. You like, dodge all that. Like, that's I guess that's true. It's, you, just, you, you just dodge and then you like pat him on the back and he like stumbles. And then you're like, you've caused a scene. Will you pay for everyone's drinks after? And he's like so embarrassed when he realizes what's happening and he pays for everyone's fucking booze. I love that level. Or I love that uh, chapter in that game. That was... I like I like all the chapters in Majima. He's a great character. Do you think like the dual protagonist took away from it, or did it just make it better because like you got to play like two different stories essentially? That eventually they like cross. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of the game wondering where the hell because I figured they were gonna cross. I just spent a very long time wondering when it was gonna happen, and when I could finally see where the threads were starting to meet up, I was like, okay, cool, we're we're getting somewhere. As far as protagonists go, I liked Majima way more than Kiryu, but that's mostly down to the fact that Majima is actually a character, and Kiryu is more of a blank slate who we experience the world through. He's got like a bit of character, but he's kind of like he's like he's like an unflavored slice of white bread or, or some shit. He's just like very plain, very not characterized super duper well, but that's that's entirely so that we can, you know, experience the world in the same way that he does. But yeah, so I thought that the dual protagonist thing worked perfectly fine. I don't know if I if I would enjoy playing through an entire game with just Kiryu because he's kind of a charismaless bastard. But everyone else in the cast, at least in Yakuza Zero, had enough charisma to make up for it. So I would assume that the same is true in all of the other games. Yeah, more or less. So they, for the most part, you're playing just as uh, Kiryu. Uh, I think for one, two, and three. But then in the fourth one, you've got like different characters. Like you get four different stories, and then in the fifth one, I think it's either four or five. But then six goes back to the one. <laughs> Actually, my favorite game from them has probably been Judgment, which is where you play as kind of this private detective, but you're also like you were also a lawyer at one point, but you think you kind of fucked up by letting this criminal go, and then it's all about the mystery about like what really happened. And like it was a really good game. It was a, it technically it's, it's in the same world. I was gonna say, also, isn't it like, the same isn't it like yeah? I was gonna say, isn't it like a spinoff? It's a spin kind of, Yeah. It was an extension of the same engine, so then they were introducing different things like drone racing, and that was pretty damn cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, though. It was like a full-fledged game. It was it was great. Like I'd spent like spent like five or six hours on that alone. Like it you once you get into a <laughs> Yakuza like game, you uh, you lose a lot of time. Yeah, I guess I guess actually that's the one so like I when I what was it? Uh, Majima, when you unlock the underground casino. I legit spent the rest of that night and the entire next night doing nothing but play. I just played poker. Like I just, I just kept playing poker. I really enjoy. I mean, it's like whenever you have uh, have like a video game that's a single player game, you know that poker is always designed in such a way that it favors the player. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but I just like I really enjoy just like sitting back and just playing poker. So. That's all I did. I just played poker for three hours the one night and like five hours the next night. This is great. <laughs>
Did you ever use any of like the cheat items or? Oh hell no! That's not how you use no fuck. I'm not gonna cheat with poker. The game already favors me <laughs> enough. I don't need to cheat. Did you ever try mahjong? I um I did. I did not understand what like I don't. They explain the rules and the tutorial is for it is twenty like twenty pages long, and that's far too much reading for me to do. So I I sat down. I like skimmed through it and I tried to play a game and I lost obviously because I didn't. You know, I, like I said, I didn't read the fucking rules, so I had no idea what I was doing. And, like, I just did not have the patience to try and learn how to fuck to play that. <laughs> learned like enough where like I have a basic understanding of how to play and can win some win some hands, but a lot of it is luck based. A lot of it has to do with like you don't like sometimes it'll be like oh you you you'll pawn or um, can't remember the other words. But you'll you'll have like the sets like four to f- four or five six of the the circle ones and you don't actually want to take that you want to just build up your hands so that you call sumo and then you like you win by not having your your whole entire hand uh, concealed but it's probably taken me a good four yakuza games to really understand what the hell i'm doing with mahjong because i hated it first too. yeah well it's just it's if you had the patience to figure it out or you just already understand it it's fine but yeah, it's it's not. I, I I assume if you spend the time on it, it's not super difficult. But if you yeah, if you just like go in, don't really read the rules, and then try and play it, it you won't fuck you're doing. That was my approach for the first two times. But yeah, I had a, uh, first two times I played the game. But yeah, no. Eventually, you start like understanding. Oh, I need to do this, or a lot of it has to do with you gotta react to what other people are throwing out. Because once you notice, like, oh, the, that green dragon has been out two times. Like, I can't make a set from this. Fuck, get rid of it. Let me see what else I can grab. Uh, it's basically just trying to manage, like, what you think they have and what hopefully they'll get rid of. So it's an entire game of reads, then. A lot of it is reads. You gotta be like, oh, they got rid of that. Like, what's the chance I'm gonna get the third of that? And screw it, I'll just get rid of it now. And then you try and just make up a combination, because you either get, like, a series of numbers, like 7, 8, 9, you get, like, three of a kind because in order to win you need i think there's like 14 piece tiles and you have to get three four types and then like one double so if you're able to manage that you have to figure out like okay what's what are people gonna throw that like that one i need that two of or if it's not that then ideally what you're trying to get is like you have like let's say two three and four of something or sorry you have two three of something you want to leave that so that you can either win on a one or win on a four of like let's say the circles what you want you kind of want to do is you don't want to leave it so that unless you already have it you don't want to have like the ones at the end because that limits your possibility of getting more of a chance of like kind of grabbing that person's extra uh, the piece but yeah it's like it's a really fun game um each game has kind of done a better job about explaining it um i think even better than like zero did They've also kind of like relabeled the tiles a little bit, like giving them a little bit more like of a Western kind of approach. That's just to give it, giving them more like an English stylized. Yeah, an English thing. style because, like, I think in the one of the original PS3 games, that they they just didn't really sh- show the numbers, like the six instead of like like line line, like some sort of uh, Japanese character for. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't they use like the Japanese tallying for like the numbers on them instead of not yeah, that so if you yeah. don't, you're not familiar with that you'll look at them and be like i don't know what the fuck 
this is. <laughs> it can be really difficult to get into, but uh, I've kind of finally learned enough to manage to get through the AI. Did uh, you they, they ever... Hard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you ever figure out... So I, so I, I could at least kind of like understand. I'm like, okay, I kind of like, I can at least play my young, right? Even though I lost and didn't understand it that much. Did you ever figure out how to play any of those really impenetrable Japanese games that the hobos are playing in the park? You mean sh- uh, shogi? Fuck no, I have no idea. It's what, like they're they're playing some like dice game in the park, and I like read the rules on that, and I was like, no, fuck this. I don't, <laughs> these don't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> homeless gambling minigames um enough where i knew like kind of what cards to hold on to like do you mean like the one where you've got like the, the i didn't i didn't even i didn't even play them i just like read the rules and i was like i don't i don't even understand what this game is asking me to do i'm not fuck this <laughs> some of them are pretty some of them are pretty straightforward it's literally like just roll and see what you get for the dice one at least you get like Four, five, six, like, you really win or something like that. It's basically trying to, like, who gets the best roll, and the banker kind of gets either fucked or done. The house always wins. I don't know, they were all homeless. I don't remember them taking any extra money from me. <laughs> but yeah, I tried all those. I've, I've tried pretty much all the games other than really Shogi. I don't understand that one. Uh, it's essentially Japanese chess. That's probably oh. over example. Uh, oh. No, I figured out how to play that one. I beat the fucking... A- it took me like 10 attempts, but I beat that motherfucker. I haven't... I decided to put my all my bag, bags in the learning... Uh, uh, or eggs in the, in the basket to learn Mahjong instead. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's like chess. And I, I, at least at a basic level, I fundamentally understand at least how... like I don't like, You can't ask me about complex strategies and shit, but I, at least at a base level, I understand how the units work in chess, and I can think a few moves ahead and be like, all right, I want to do this. But yeah, so like with Shogi... The, the big thing that fucks with you is that, like, they can just take your fucking units away from you. So a, a big part of that is, like, goading your opponent into taking a risk where you can jump in and, like, steal one of their fucking, like, admirals or some shit. And then just putting them in, like, a, just a situation where they cannot fight back against you at all. It's It's super weird. It's, like, very defensive, but then, like, when you attack, you, you super attack them. You do not show them any fucking mercy. It's crazy. It's fun. <laughs> Seem, well, I mean, I guess that seems kind of like chess. I, I generally, generally speaking, I find like I think chess has a bit more of a uh, of like an ebb and flow to it. At least in the way I play it, and I'm like not like a grandmaster. I'm a fucking noob at chess. But whenever I play chess, I feel like there's a better like there's a better back and forth with chess. Where with this, it was like very, it was like defensive turn after defensive turn after defensive turn until there was like that one like crack in their defense, and then you just fucking obliterate them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I I clearly need to try that again. It's it's very weird, but once you get the hang of it, it makes sense. You just gotta like watch how the computer destroys you, and then you use those strategies to destroy the computer. Maybe you teach me that, and I teach you how to play mahjong at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you on stream. <laughs> yeah, of course. So getting back to Yakuza 7, because oh, I guess that was kind of all about Yakuza 7, because a big part of Yakuza is the minigames. Is, is, is there anything in particular you were looking forward to with, uh, with Yakuza 7? I, I get the feeling you were really in, uh, interested in the changes they're making to the combat from what you said earlier. And then obviously you, you love the different side things, but like, is there any other kind of 
features that have been teased that you're really excited about with regard to, to Yakuza 7? Some Mario Kart um, like kind of mini game that they're introducing with this one. So what the that fuck? One's kind of, I'll, I'll show you that later. Other than that, no, no, I, I'm just happy that they're changing the style of the game. I'm glad like these developers are kind of like, oh, let's learn from like what works and what doesn't. Uh, they're really good for that, and I really prefer their like, kind of style of game. But did you know that there's a Yakuza movie in the works from Sega? I will watch that. I did not. I did not know that was a thing, but I will watch that. So that only came out like this week. It's kind of in the preliminary things. They're only going to really move forward with with it if they can uh, make something good out of it. It is going to star uh, Kiryu as the like the protagonist. Are they going to get the same guy who voice acts him to play the character or are they going to get a screen actor to do it? I don't know if the guy who voices him in Japanese or I guess yeah, it's only Japanese. I don't know if the guy who voices him is uh is is like a stage or like a, a film actor or if he's just a voice actor. I think it's it's too early to tell about okay. that because this news just came out this week that like oh there but a little bit has to do with the success of the sonic movie i think the sonic movie was horrendously inoffensive i wanted that movie to be so much worse than it actually was it would have been so much more entertaining that way instead it was just like a very average like kids superhero movie well the original cut was probably that that horrifying animated sonic that looked like you came from some like corporate nightmare <laughs> I still want that to be the the Blu-ray special or something like that. That would get me to buy the damn. Thing. That would get me to buy a Blu-ray in like the last five years. <laughs> Man, I buy a Blu-ray player if they put out the butthole cuts of uh, of cats. Oh yeah, the butthole. The butthole cats. cut. We need the butthole cut. There's that cut, and then the cut that they did to fix some of the CGI issues they didn't catch before sending it out to the theaters, like so the human hand still being. <laughs> <laughs> that whole movie was nightmare we're uh we're getting it on it on in time so we want to move over to uh the games that we've been playing oddly enough i decided i'd give call of duty a try this week and uh what I played, shit <laughs> i played the call of duty modern warfare 2 re- campaign remastered so it's just strictly it's the campaign which it was, um, it was free on um like the playstation plus so i didn't pay any well i didn't pay money but which which one is that? Is it the one where it's brown and gray and you shoot the terrorist stick off? No, this one is the or is one. Is that the one that is actually in color? This one's the one that's actually in color. Okay, I know I know which game you're talking about now. Yeah, so it's the one where you throw the knife at the guy in like the end cutscene. No, I haven't actually played any of them. I just know it. it's it's oh, like the okay. only Call of Duty <laughs> game that came out in like the last ten years that has that knows what color is. I think I didn't think it was too bad for color. At least the I you did a side by side comparison of the original, and it was kind of you know that probably was the one that you're probably talking about. It was like really kind of brown and like dull, but this one, it's like the remastered one. It's all like much much prettier. That one's kind of taught me about um, how the hell to manage playing on online for um, Call of Duty because. I was never good at it because it was always like that twitch reaction and knowing where the enemy placements will probably be. This one playing on veteran, you really have to know where the hell the enemies are because they can shoot down like two or three hits and it's like really quick. Fortunately, the checkpoints are pretty reasonable. Like you're never too far back or too far like you haven't like lost a lot of progress. So yeah, I played that. Uh, I played most of it on veteran. And the other game that I played is Final Fantasy 
10 was on sale. It came on um, with the, there's a remaster package. So it comes with X2 as well, which I've never played. So I'm replaying it on the PS4 and my number 10 first. And then I'm going to move on to 10 because I'm trying to remember everything about this game because it's been since I played it on the PS2. Is 10 the one with the blonde guy and who, who laughs yes. awkwardly? Yes, he is the one that has the ha 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 meme. You'd probably find this funny. It's got another chick who I swear has, um, it's, her name is Lulu, and she's got like the levitating boob thing that you were mentioning with uh, that one uh, in your game that you love to play. Oh, the boobs defy gravity. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck are you talking You're talking about Valerie <laughs> from Fantasy Strike. Yeah, it's Fantasy Strike. It's like, yeah, this character's clearly not wearing a bra because her outfit clearly has no bra in it, but her boobs are, like, being supported by... They need to be supported by steel girders. So, yeah, I've been playing that. Uh, I'd probably say about halfway through at this point. It's still it's still a really good game. But what, I, what I find funny about it is that people say, like, oh, Final Fantasy thirteen, it was, like, so linear. I'm like, Final Fantasy is pretty damn linear as well. Like, that's that was kind of their thing for a they have some linear games because uh, it's pretty much you're just going down like one path. Like I think near the end, you can kind of back a little bit. But yeah, I always get really confused when people complain about linearity in games because there's like a lot of or or when they complain about getting lost in games, they're not straightforward enough because a lot of games are designed where you just go from point A to point B and that's the entire game. So I don't understand when like when people say, "Oh, it's like games too linear," and it's like, okay, but like a lot of games are like that. And then some people, like, I, I, I had someone complain once, just as an example, where they said Bioshock was, like, too complicated. And I'm like, Bioshock is a straight line. Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to, like, you just, you go from level to level in that game. And there's almost no backtracking that's required within any of those levels at all. It's always, you just keep moving forward. And eventually, in a lot of the cases, the levels will, if you need to get back to a certain area, the level will loop around on itself. And then you'll be back in that area when you've completed whatever side objective you were supposed to while exploring the whole level. I don't like, like you said, Final Fantasy 13, where people are like, oh, this game's too linear. And it's like, well, fuck me, like every Final Fantasy games just go from here to here and there's very little variation in between. I mean, I guess that's not necessarily true. I've only played like three but and Bravely Default, but in both of those games, there's like a few side dungeons that come up, but it's largely go to place, talk to person, figure out you need to go somewhere else, go to that place, talk to person, figure out you need to go through a dungeon, go through the dungeon, then go back to the place where you talked to the person before you went to the dungeon. They'll tell you where you have to go next. It's like, okay, well, you're just going from like point A to point B, point A to point b point a to point b there's no you're not choosing how you get there you're not there's no interesting decisions about you know side content for like i don't know is or very minimal side content yeah yeah that's that's kind of what i'm getting at wherein you know like uh, a lot of as, as more so in sequence breaking metroidvania games you have a lot of decisions in terms of how you're getting you might not even know where point b is so you have to explore to figure out where you want to go or in uh one of my favorite things with with you know like roguelikes is that they constantly shuffle every time you do a run they're constantly shuffling up what you can even see so it, you know there's a lot of variety in those which makes it feel like you're actually going on a different journey every single time you go through them instead of it being like point a point b well speaking of roguelikes you've been playing hades right yeah, so is it my turn to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm not okay. going to with Final Fantasy X. 
Okay, I kind of interrupted you there. Um, so yeah, I've been playing Hades. I have a massive boner for Supergiant. I originally signed up for Steam when Transistor came out because I saw it and I said, I need to play this game. This game looks beautiful. And I really enjoyed it. And then I went back and played Bastion and I thought that game was okay. I still don't understand to this day why people like that game so much. It's it's not bad. It's 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 fine. I liked Transistor a lot more because it took like what existed in Bastion and layered more systems on top of it, making it more deep and meaningful and thoughtful instead of uh, kind of like Diablo, but really simplified. Hades, and I'm I'm glossing over Pyre here because Pyre is like the first game that they put out that was I think like the full package. It was much more involved. It was much more uh, well realized as a as a like a full like meat and potatoes kind of a game where you get like you you leave it and you feel very satisfied instead of it being like a lighter experience which is what transistor and bastion largely are um so yeah hades is another you know meat and potatoes kind of experience i see a lot of lessons learned from over a or I guess almost a decade of game development by folks at Supergiant where, um, you know, like it, it, for, for me playing it, it reminds me a lot of Bastion and it reminds me a lot of Transistor, but it's, it's taken what was in those games and it's amped it up to uh, a much higher degree of polish. There's a lot more depth, I would say, to the systems in it. Uh, unlike Transistor, I, I don't feel like I have everything railroaded. I don't feel like I have everything mapped out where I can just optimize the entire game to the point where I don't have to think about it anymore. And a big part of that comes from the game being in the roguelike framework. So you can figure out some overpowered combinations with the different abilities you acquire throughout a run, but you're not guaranteed to find that exact same combination in a future run. So a lot of the game has experimentation where you're figuring out what abilities accentuate what other abilities in really uh, powerful ways so that you can, you know, escape from the underworld. So quick question. Did, does this story make a lot more sense in the roguelike or because one of my issues with Transistor was I just kind of didn't really understand the story. It's been a really long time since I've like played it. So I cannot remember hundred percent of what happened, but I, I just knew the story kind of felt like a little, like I was kind of either confused or I just didn't really get all invested in the story. Is this one a lot? Sure. Um, so with Transistor and Bastion both, a very minimalist approach was taken to storytelling. A lot of the story was up to your interpretation, and that came from delving into all of the extra lore and writing. Supergiant loves to write lore. Pyre, in my opinion, took um, was a, like a much better uh, game in in just in comparison to their older games by virtue of having a story that was much more accessible in addition to all of the deep lore. So if you wanted to read about all of the extra stuff, you could. But if you just wanted to sit and experience, uh, you know, a story about how a group of friends overcomes trials and tribulations, and, and you know they learn stuff about themselves and one another along the journey, then you could just experience it that way. Hades is exactly the same way as Pyre. You have a bunch of the more involved lore elements that you can dig through and find out little kind of kernels of information and, and extrapolate that based on contextual cues from dialogue. But throughout the entirety of the game, you're still getting this 
overarching narrative about how the son of Hades, Zagreus, is trying to escape from the underworld. I don't want to get into too much more about that because uh, that would be getting into spoilery territory. Surprisingly, this is, I guess, like one of the big kind of differentiating factors that I think sets Hades so far apart from other roguelikes is that it has those story elements. I have played a lot of roguelike games. Well, I guess roguelike genre fusions, because saying roguelike doesn't mean a whole lot. It, roguelike genre fusion. A lot of them don't feature much in the way of story. A big part of the what keeps people playing roguelikes is the intrinsic goals that we set for ourselves as players. You know, I want to like get better at playing this game. I want to win runs more consistently. I'm going to raise the difficulty up by adding modifiers, and that'll make me better at the game. Those are the kinds of intrinsic goals that we as players set for ourselves, and that's how we get enjoyment out of the repetition that comes from playing these games. In some of them, there's... Uh, some form of extrinsic goal, whether it be uh, like in Slay the Spire, there's new card unlocks up to a point. Uh, in Rogue Legacy, you can continue to upgrade your character. Uh, in Hades, there is some of that character upgrading, but a lot of the extrinsic rewards are story moments. So you, you know, you'll either win or you'll lose, and you'll come back from a run, and then you'll get more character dialogue. You'll learn something new about Hades. You'll learn something new about one of the characters in the game you'll maybe progress the overarching story a little bit. And this is the first time I've seen a game really use that that flow of 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 you know going in and repeatedly throwing yourself into the meat grinder as a way to tell a story. So that's been really fascinating to see. Now how how well it works, that's up for debate. I've seen a few times where it feels like the story segments I'm getting are a like they're a little bit misaligned where I've gotten something that like it would have made more sense for this particular line of dialogue to trigger before something that I had just seen and I th I think that, that comes about entirely because of the nature of the game but largely I think it it mostly works. So even if the story, like the individual dialogue delivery moments can be a little bit disjointed, I think they're written in a way that it's not super intrusive, even if you do notice it like I have. But yeah, it's a pretty fucking good game. So have you finished a run? I have finished several. It took oh, okay. me a very long time to get to that point. I haven't finished the story yet. I got to finish a few more runs, I, I think, to finish the story. But uh, yeah, it took me a, a lot of tries before I finally kind of started to learn what combinations would lead to success. And then uh, I've, I've started leveraging those more often. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had a lot more success recently than I had when I, when I first started playing the game. So do the runs, like they, they lead to different like paths, essentially, that you get to experience different story beats or a lot of what you're doing is in the actual runs is playing through uh kind of action rpg style con like the diablo kind of top-down combat except it's from like an isometric side point views it's kind of similar to transistor and bastion um though i think it's a lot more fluid and a lot more like it's a lot more juicy it feels a lot better but along the way in each of the like the dungeons you'll explore because they're they're randomly reconfigured every single time there are some characters you can run into along the way and as you talk with them more you'll get more of of those kind of story beats 
up to a point. And then like in the hub world, you go back to after uh, a run, regardless of your success, there's characters there who have uh, story beats as well. And uh, one of the things is that, like I said, there's an overarching story that I'm working through right now, but there's also various kind of side stories either that play out between certain characters or just as you befriend a character, which you have the ability to friend different characters you run into throughout the game, you'll learn more about that character. So as you just get to know them, as you give them gifts, you'll get to know them better. Kind of like how dating sims work or like Persona, <laughs> Persona kind of does the same thing, I think. A, a little bit, yeah, with the social link stuff. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like that. And then your, your reward for befriending these different uh, characters is to learn more about them. So Do you get any perks? Um, I think some of them give perks. I haven't gotten any. The the a lot like I said, a lot of the extrinsic rewards you're getting is either character writing or story, which I've never I haven't really seen a roguelike that that is built around the idea of rewarding players with story for the like just as you play the game more you get more story which which sounds like a it sounds like a really logical thing that you should do because that's how most games work but in roguelikes they, they usually stories either an afterthought or they just don't even include it but yeah i think there's a few people wherein um like once you befriend them fully there's some additional perk though i, I will say that the first time you give a gift to any of the characters they do give you a uh, like a passive artifact you can wear into a run. You can only equip one of them at a time, but there's there's something like thirty of those that you can collect from the different characters the first time you give them a gift. So I guess there is a perk you can get the first time, but um, like when you fully befriend them, I don't I don't know if there's additional perks that can be unlocked. I think there might be for some of the characters. I'm not, I am not a hundred percent sure because I haven't unlocked any of. I haven't fully befriended anyone yet, so. I'd be surprised if it wasn't something like it doubles the like let's say your dodge speed's like plus five or something like that. That, that that's a perk. I'm surprised it wouldn't be something like oh now it's times two so it's like plus ten or something. The artifacts they do give you are they do improve over time, but they improve based on usage rather than how friendly you are with the person who gave them to you. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, thus far the like I'm very close to fully befriending a, a two different people. So like Artemis is one of the gods of so like the big part of the game is that different gods from the Olympian like the Olympian gods are helping you. So I I have almost fully befriended Artemis and my reward for doing that is that she is now kind of divulging more personal details about herself that were not presently uh being made available to me. So as I've continued to like be friendly towards her and give her offerings, she's now in turn exposing more of her her you know her backstory her her how, who she is as a character to Zagreus and by extension to me as the player so um but i don't expect that when i because I, I don't expect that when that happens i will you know may maybe in the background it, it had some effect on the rarity tier of the of the different buffs that i could get from her but uh i'm not 100 percent certain that that was the case cool so uh is there anything else you wanted to know about the game I, I think I, over the last, what was that, probably like 10 minutes, explained how I, at least at a high level, how I feel about the game. <laughs> Sounds like a great game. Um, I'll keep an eye on that. Um, I don't really play on, I mean, I guess I could pick it up on the Switch. Yeah, it is on the Switch. Miranda watched me play it for about 20 hours on PC and then picked it up on the Switch. It runs 
perfectly fine on the switch so uh it's just that you know the big problem with the switch is that everything is very small um if you're playing it in handheld mode i uh i would not want to play just just because like my eyes aren't you know like i wear glasses my eyes aren't great you actually wear glasses too so yeah my eyes aren't super great so i wouldn't want to keep track of a really small character darting around all over the place that i i I like playing with the mouse but that's a personal preference thing (laughs) yeah you'll always be a (laughs) pc player (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I don't know, man. I got like a little bit, like I got low key arthritis in my right index finger. So I, the mouse is way easier to use than, than triggers on a controller. Our shoulder buttons and triggers on controllers actively hurt my hand to use, where using a mouse for prolonged times does not. So it's because my hand's in like a much more relaxed position than being curled up constantly. Hmm. Yeah, I can thank the almost 1,000 hours playing Monster Hunter for that. <laughs> uh, that would be understandable. But yes, that's that's all I kind of had to say about Hades. So I spent let's see here, according to Steam, I've spent f- almost forty hours playing that over the last week and a bit. <laughs> and then the only other thing I've been playing uh, worth mentioning is Borderly. So after hearing you talk about it, I saw it on sale on Steam for half off. So I asked Miranda if she would want to play through it cooperatively, and she said, "Sure, that sounds great." Um, she doesn't really play shooters. I don't play a lot of shooters. It's been a total shit show. <laughs> Like, just, we are, I think, around halfway through the game. Um, it's more Borderlands. The elements of the game that were already, like, okay to good-ish are, I think, better across the board in this game. The shooting, generally speaking, feels a lot better. I, It's still not as good as, as something like Doom or Wolfenstein or, like, other games that don't have procedurally generated guns, but I think that's why the shooting will never be as good, because they have to come up with generic animations for a lot of these weapons that are cobbled together by a an, al- an algorithm rather than, like, tailored very specifically. So you don't get those really nice, chunky, detailed animations with all these, like, little small bits and bops going off as you fire the gun instead it's just kind of like oh there's like some pieces on here that are moving it's it's okay i, I would say it is better than than previous games but you had some opinions about the story i'll get to that in a, in a second <laughs> the loot's a lot less stingy which i like uh in our playthrough so far we've been playing for let's see steam says about 16 hours i have seen more legendary weapons drop in that 16 hours than i have in the almost 200 hours i spent playing borderlands 2 yeah, it's a much more generous game than that. Version. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy about that. Honestly, the uh, I, I think I saw like two fucking legendary items the entire time I played Borderlands Two until that Commander Lilith DLC, and then um, yeah, in Borderlands Three, we 15 or sorry, 16 hours, and what the hell is it? We've it, through drops alone, I think we've seen like five or six orange uh, items come out. Probably about three, like two to three times as many purple items come out, and then the uh, the shops constantly have like uh, a few really good purple options that you can buy at any given time, which is nice if there's like a particular thing that you want, but you can't, you're not really getting it from the drops, so you can just sell off your crap loot and then be like, oh hey, this like there's like an assault rifle or a sniper that I want to buy, and I can just purchase that, um, or like a good grenade mod or a good class mod or whatever. Yeah, I had a big problem with uh, getting a new grenade mod. Like, I was stuck with this blue one for, like, I think, like, 20 levels. And it was just like, but nothing does better damage. And then finally, it was the purple at the store. Yeah, well, I, like, my, my current grenade mod is is one from a store. I got, like, a legendary grenade mod from a store. It's 
tiny Tina's boomstick or something. It, it's a grenade that just explodes into a bunch of smaller grenades. If I throw it too close to myself, it will it will actually kill my character. It's hilarious. But it does a lot of damage to the enemies. Nice. And then the... What's the other element? Oh yeah, the, the skill trees. I think that this game finally brings Borderlands to a point where the RPG skill tree systems actually don't suck dick. In the previous games, I always felt like the skill trees were really boring uh, compared to basically any other kind of like ARPG or Diablo style game where you're just milling through hordes of brainless enemies for loot and progression. In this game, there is more variety to how you, like what your active skill is and how it manifests. They, uh, the skill trees have a lot more of those like one point or three point skills that offer much more dramatic improvements versus the five point skills, which are usually a lot more, they just kind of kind of boring passive skills. But even the boring passive skills in this game, I feel like they're like a little bit better tweaked to offer more kind of unique play styles. So I'm playing Moe's, and one of the skills I really like is called Scrappy, and it's a skill that increases gun damage, uh, weapons uh, handling, uh, so like it has like weapons have less kickback, and then like weapon swap speed whenever I'm moving and shooting. Whenever, like, if I stand still, my weapons are just bouncing all over the place, but if I start moving, then my weapon becomes substantially easier to shoot. So in that way... This like this character is designed in such a way where I, I have a much better sense of momentum. But if I didn't have that skill, I wouldn't have that same sense of momentum. So this like this five point skill fundamentally like really dramatically changed how I played this character. Where I went from you know like being I had to like kind of stand still a little like I could move and then I had to like kind of stop and shoot. Where now I can just keep if I just keep moving, I am rewarded for continuing to move. So that's that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. And the other skill trees, from what I can see on other characters, kind of dramatically change things as well, based on like which skills you actually, like which active skills you invest in, which augments you apply to them, and then which specific skills you grab up from any of the individual trees. As far so that's like the good. The bad is that the um, the writing in the game is fucking terrible. I don't possess the English language to describe how fucking awful the writing is. It's so bad. Like, like genuinely <laughs> terrible. I, 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 you know, I never thought Borderlands was like great from a story perspective, but I, I've played all of the previous Borderlands games. I, like I said, I put almost 200 hours into Borderlands too. I have a, um, a very long, I have a long-standing relationship with this franchise, and to see the writing just go comp- like it's just it's fucking shit. There's no other word for it. It's 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 just it's awful. Now, is it what the characters say, or is it what like? Uh, are the other characters play like the NPCs, or is it like what your character is constantly like bickering about? My character doesn't say a whole lot, so that's fine. Well, so like I'm playing with Miranda, so it's like a it's where it, it goes back and forth between who says what. So like her character's voiced by someone show, and I think that because she's playing Flack, and I think that Flack has some pretty like deadpan delivery lines that are pretty funny. Uh, Moe's sounds like what you would expect a 15-year-old playing Call of Duty to sound like. So occasionally when she says something like, ah, yeah, I just shot his dick off. I'm like, I kind of laugh at it and like, ah, this is so stupid kind of a way. But if I was hearing that constantly, I'd get really annoyed by it. But the fact that I hear 
flack and mows in equal measure, I think balances it out so that it's not annoying. I can just sit there and laugh when she says something like really fucking stupid. But no, for me, the big thing is that, like it's just like the characters in the story. I don't give a fuck what any of them are saying. I don't give a fuck about the story because the story basically took a bunch of established rules in this in this universe and just fucking flush them down the toilet the characters talk for way too long the dialogue they deliver is is not it's not funny it is actively unfunny the the bad guys in particular i feel like they're trying to capture the same magic that damian clark had for handsome jack where he was ad-libbing a bunch of stuff and he's just a, a sass master the entire time but tyreen's just like She's not even remotely like that. I, and I don't know if this is part of the direction that the voice actor was given or, or if it's just because of the script, but like the, the energy and charisma that, that Damien Clark brought to handsome Jack's performance is not present in Tyrene at all. So instead of being this like charismatic villain character who, who you as the player are like, you know, you actively like when the villain's taunting you, it, it's an, it's an enjoyable part of the experience. Instead, it's just this fucking annoying twat coming on, constantly just bickering in your ear, and none of the side characters are ev- are even remotely redeeming either. So they're just fucking annoying too. A big problem is uh, still in this game is that uh, you have to listen to characters constantly, just because, just so you can get to, like the next thing, or even just like so they'll open the fucking door so you can keep going. You just have to listen to them talk for you know twenty, thirty seconds, and it's dialogue. It's, it's just. Is verbal diarrhea. There's no substance to it. It's not worth listening to. Is uh, you want you want a skip button? Yeah, or just <laughs> yeah, basically, or just for them to talk less because they're I don't know there'd be more value, and if they just talked less, I'd find them less annoying. While the shooting and the looting and the skill trees have been improved, I feel like some of the systems around the game still haven't been improved, and that brings the entire game down as a whole. So like I said, the writing's pretty terrible, and I don't like it at all. Um, So that's actively having these characters chirp in your ear constantly is not great. I'm glad that Miranda's there, because then we can make fun of how bad the writing is, or just both have exactly the same reaction, where we just sit in silence. And are like, well, that's that's a thing that just happened. So, are, are you going to finish it? Oh yeah, we're going to finish it. So I'm like, we're like over the halfway point. It's not offensive to the point where I'd stop playing it. It's just that I feel like the story actively makes the game worse. Um, the level design is still like calling it design. I feel like is an insult to people who actually design levels. Um, it still just feels like a bunch of random shit was thrown together into a giant map that is put together with no thought or cohesion about how the player moves around the map or how they can interact within the map as a, as a combat of space. I, I, I really feel like the people at Gearbox could, could stand to play Doom, play Vermintide, play Wolfenstein. Look at how those games structure levels and encounters. And if they copied something like that, it would make the game a lot more enjoyable as it, as it stands, it feels like the game is a translation of something like Diablo, where it's just like a giant map with crap, and then there's brainless enemies littered everywhere. And you kind of walk into an area, and there's enemies there, and you kill them, and then you 
you know, you pick up all the crap and then you move on to the next area and you collect some ammunition along the way. And then you run into another area that's full of brainless enemies and you shoot them and they die and you pick up the crap. And then you, it's just like this kind of repetitive cycle where I think it'd be a lot better designed if it was, if they had smaller maps with more interesting combat encounters. Cause they have some parts of the map that are like that. There's this, there's this one map we went on to for a side thing and uh, it was designed like a town. And in the very middle, there was this like town square area and it had an upper level with with bad guys all around it and there was some and then there was some kind of vertical verticality in that area where you could, there was crates and stuff you could get up to and balconies and then there was stairs that went down to a lower area and there was additional encounters down there and i feel like if more of the map was like just like the map was concentrated into stuff like that and you had waves of bad guys that descended upon you when you entered certain areas and you had to like figure out where they were like bet the best place to defend from was or you had to organize like figure out where you could like where they were spawning from and then organize choke points that you could prevent them from getting into like the wider area and becoming more of a problem. I feel like that would make the game uh, as far as the combat goes a lot more interesting. There'd be more depth to it instead of just walk into the area, shoot the guys, collect the shit. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because like that area is completely missable. Like you do not have to go to that area. Yeah, I know it's a complete, it's just, a, it's a side area and it's one of the only like that, that one like midsection of that map I thought was like, I'm like, Oh man, I wish like more of the game was like this than what it is, which is like just pockets of encounters littered across a, a gigantic map. That was my favorite uh, side mission. Well, I didn't like having to wander around to the three areas across the map, which were way the fuck too far away from one another, because it took like a solid 20 minutes to walk from like one side of the map to the other side of the map. But yeah, that one like centralized area, I liked that a lot. That, that stood out to me as like a really like, oh man, I wish the game, like I said, I wish the game had more of that. And then yeah, like the maps that actually have driving sections in them still suck fucking ass because the driving still sucks fucking ass. I hate the driving in Borderlands. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's a little bit better? Than I, I, I don't know. It feels better. the same to me. I press forward the entire time, and I have to swivel the camera to change the car's direction. It's I don't know. It just it, it doesn't make a whole. I don't know. It, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That and there's like no way to to. There's like no dedicated, or if there is a dedicated like drifting button, I don't know what it is. Yeah, so you have to like kind of force drifts by by like manually slowing down all around corners and, and swiveling the camera very aggressively which i don't feel makes as much sense i, I don't know I, I think i prefer just like arcadey type racers like mario kart a little bit more for for driving where it's like i press like a drift button and then like kind of lean in the direction i want to drift and then i can shoot around corners that way i was gonna say you must hate those um levels that are purely yeah well there's one mission we had to do with where we were it was like to get into like a uh, an area we had to go through like a driving sec section and yeah i think we had the car explode like four or five times on us. <laughs> so we had to keep like fucking getting the car back it got to the point where i was just like riding in the back of the car and when we got to like an area i just jumped out and started gunning like, i just because i'm playing most i just got in my my giant mech suit and i just started gunning everything down because i'm like this is more efficient than trying to use any of the fucking weapons in this stupid piece of shit <laughs> You had a completely different experience to what I did. Like, I only lost my vehicle, like, once We could not, for the life of us, shoot down, either of us, shoot down those fucking towers with the rocket launchers. So I just, like, got out of the, the, the car and just, like, shot them down manually because I just could not, while the car was moving, for the life of me, shoot. I guess that's the other thing is that, like, one of us was driving and one of us was manning the secondary turret. So it's like... 
that just that just makes it a lot harder because like I don't know where the fuck like when I was driving, Miranda didn't know the fuck I was gonna go. So I was trying to like not die, and then when she was driving, I didn't know where the fuck she was gonna go. So it just ended up being a huge clusterfuck, and it's just easier for me to just hop out and have her just like skirt around and me just take care of all the the rocket launchers and all the fucking vehicles and shit. Yeah, because I was playing it single player, so that's uh, honestly neither of us can drive the vehicles for shit. So that like that's a huge problem. So whenever we're in the vehicles, we just end up like crashing into other vehicles and just like face tanking them, <laughs> which is not how you're supposed to play that section at all. But we just, they just can't. I don't know. Neither of us understand how to how to do that section, like those sections of the game for shit. So but yeah, it, neither of us like the driving in 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 Borderlands at all. So it's like a it's like a thing that we do to get from location to location, but it's not a it's not an enjoyable part of the experience. I hope that by the time we have the next podcast, it, I, I might have some more thoughts on either of them, but I hope I'm playing something different for the next like two weeks from now. I don't know if I will be. <laughs> all right, so uh, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you all for listening. Please follow us on our um, social media on uh, Frosty Canucks on Twitter, uh, where this podcast is available on Stitcher and Spotify. You wanted to plug your stuff, Frosty? So I can be found at FrostyLate on Twitter. I can be found on my, my blog where I write about video games at FrostyLate.ca. I regularly write, I would say, short-form content, kind of like what you just listened to me say when I was describing Hades and Borderlands 3, and I'll probably have articles for those two games coming out in the coming weeks if you want to check those out that might have more detailed uh, thoughts than just what I said here in the podcast. I think some of it might end up getting rehashed in those. (laughs) And I also stream on Twitch on Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern. You you made a good um, article about Prey this week, which happens to be about kind of our topic. uh, Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Um, Just just by virtue of the fact that we, you know, Microsoft, did effect, does effectively own that intellectual property now. Yeah, I like that game a lot, but I really did not like the Nightmare Enemies, and that was the uh, the topic of the post. So I had some suggestions for how I think it might change, and if you read the comments, I am currently arguing with my friend Thomas. Well, I guess I wouldn't say arguing. We're, we're debating uh, about how what different types of design things could be used as an alternative to what was used in the game and what the merits of those different things are. And this happens almost every time I post anything game design related. So yeah, always, always check out the comments because if, if he ever posts anything, then it, it just turns into like the article basically just increases in length by like three times because there's an entire debate underneath it where we continue to take the discussion even further. <laughs> so you should go uh, check that out. Um, you can follow me on uh, Java Animation on Twitter. Uh, I'll be posting kind of my thoughts on some video games that I'm currently playing. Uh, if I finish something, I usually kind of do a summary of my overall thoughts. Anyway, thank you for all for joining, and uh, stay frosty.